this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Hello and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. And Senior Editor Haley Fouch. Hello. Today we will be talking about Black Widow, the long-awaited Marvel film. It's been, oh, it's been two years since a Marvel movie even <laughs> came out because of COVID. This film was supposed to open in May of 2020, kept getting pushed back because of COVID. Uh, and it finally, finally arrived about two, ju- I think just about two years since Spider-Man Far From Home. And it arrived in theaters, but also on Disney Plus with premier access, which for those who don't know, means that you pay Disney Plus $30 and then it just gets added to your Disney Plus as opposed to just waiting a few months and it just becomes part of your Disney Plus regularly. In a weird way, it's sort of, it's a thing that makes sense, especially if you have kids and like you don't want to take them to the theater and it's just easier to just be like, whatever, I'm just going to pay $30 and we'll watch it at home in our own time. And I think I actually think for Disney Plus, that makes a lot of sense. But the movie is now out and we are going to, to dive into it. Um, and so, Haley, thank you so much for joining us. I'd like to start off by getting your thoughts on Black Widow. Well, thank you for having me. I liked it. I had a good time. I It makes no sense that they did it now. It totally does not earn its, like, earn its place at this point in the MCU I don't think in the sense that like we had to have this movie now and not earlier but I dug it I love when it's smaller and when it's focused in the first two acts I think the third act is kind of a wash and I lord knows why they went back to stuff falling from the sky (laughs) but in general I, I dug it it's a fun little spy movie for most of it and Adam what did you think they were doing so well for a while. Just no stuff falling from the sky. They knew that it was a joke. And then, but what if the whole action sequences were just falling from the sky? Uh, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I uh, So I watched it as a screener first at home, and then I saw it in a theater. Um, but there were not a ton of other people in the theater, so I didn't, I didn't feel like I got like that full theatrical experience. I mean, I don't know when the next end game will happen, but I'm, I'm ready for that to happen where... Like the theater is just vibrating with energy. Everyone is just kind of on the same wavelength. Um, But, you know, I agree with Ailey. Like this could have happened a long time ago. It is weird to just like kill her off unceremoniously. And then also kind of like ignore it in in-game. Like Hulk throws a bench. And then that's kind of all they say about it. And then Tony gets a funeral. Um, But I mean, I think as is i think they did a solid job with it i uh, i'm with Haley. i think it's best when it's like a born-esque spy romp with scarlett johansson and florence Pugh, just like trading banter uh i mean we already knew florence Pugh was the greatest but i'm so happy that she's in the mcu i think she adds a lot of fun energy to it um and i'm excited to see um what else she has to do in it but yeah, for the most part, I, I thought it was solid and enjoyable. It was a little darker than I expected it to go, um, especially towards the beginning. Um, but, you know, then it becomes a Marvel movie, as all Marvel movies do. So, you know, it's solid. I really I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I guess I wanted more from it. I think, you know, as, as you we talked dick. 
Yes, I'm, I'm here. I'm the ruiner. Uh, I think, you know, to get into the like, it should have happened sooner. I think, you know, I wrote an article about this that speculates with, I feel is strong supporting evidence that the reason it didn't happen sooner is because you had this Marvel story group. And part of that story group was Ike Perlmutter. And Ike Perlmutter was like, well, you know, female superhero movies don't sell. If you look at Catwoman and Elektra, those movies were bad. And, and those movies flopped. So why would anyone see them? Ignoring like, okay, but also like Green Lantern flopped and they still make <laughs> movies starring Ryan Reynolds. And they also make, you know, male-led superhero movies. So the logic here is not exactly airtight here, Ike. And then, you know, he also like didn't really think that uh, female, you know, women superhero toys would sell. So it to me, it made sense from like, his perspective not to make a Black Widow movie. But then once uh, Kevin Feige had autonomy to sort of run the Marvel universe the way he wanted, by then sort of all these gears were already in motion where he was sort of like, okay, well, we need to make a Black Widow movie, but we can't disrupt any of the plants that we already have. And I think that's how you kind of get to the movie you have now, which is this sort of weird prequel that comes out after the character has already died. Um, which was also a weird decision in retro. Like, I think that to me is something given all the interviews, something that I haven't really seen explored that I would like to see explored is why kill off black widow in the first place. You know, I mean, you can argue it makes for better stakes, but if that's your argument, then like, but again, why you have a choice in that scene, kill Natasha or kill Clint. Why kill Natasha? Especially if we can, feasibly make the case that Scarlett Johansson is a bigger star than Jeremy Renner there I don't know there were questions to be raised that I have not seen uh put yet to the Marvel folks I also think it's weird that in the choice to do this after the character dies this does not reframe anything like you don't (laughs) learn something new about her sacrifice that you didn't already know there's you learn about her family but that's not like there's nothing there to suggest that's why she was doing it. It doesn't. It doesn't recontextualize anything. It, it it should have happened first. There's no reason for this to have happened. It doesn't help the story in any way, except that it appears they had plans for Hawkeye, and they opted to go that direction. Uh, business shit, you know. I did run. Uh, so when I did how the MCU was made, I did like a deep dive into quotes from the writers, and they talked at nauseum about those two movies. And there was a debate over whether to kill Hawkeye or Black Widow. And it was, I think it was, what's her name? There's a, a female producer on Avenger, on Avengers. Victoria it's not, Alonso. It's not Victoria Alonso. Um, it's like Trish, I think is her name. But she was advocating- I'm sorry, I can't giggle at the word Trish now because of Barbara Star. <laughs> <laughs> she was advocating like, don't steal this from her. Like, this is her moment. Like she's making the sacrifice. And when I first saw Endgame, like I felt, it felt pretty emotional to me. Like this was clearly a character who had done a lot of bad stuff in her past and now felt like she could do something by sacrificing her life to save a bunch of other people. In Black Widow- you not only learn that like she, I mean, she did make the conscious decision. We're going full spoilers, spoiler alert. She made the conscious decision to kill Drakov's daughter, but she didn't actually kill Drakov's daughter. He's, she's fine. Um, but also she has this family and this sister she reconnected with. So it kind of in retrospect made me a little more angry because it's kind of like she just like pieces out when she also has a, like it wasn't 
when you saw Avengers Endgame, it felt like, you know, she was doing it because Clint has a family and she has no one. You could read it that way. She doesn't have no one. She, you know, had all these other things. So I don't know. It made it, it when I saw Black Widow a second time, the entire film just felt really sad to me. Like there's a sadness permeating through a lot of it. And the first time I saw it, I, you know, thought it was a really fun spy romp. And it is still fun and funny. But you're following this woman and also Yelena, these care, these women who have been robbed of their agency and of their entire lives, like they have not had control over their lives. And, you know, the stuff with the pockets with Yelena, I think is really funny, but it's also really sad. Like it's the first thing she's ever owned herself. She was stolen. She, her life was taken away from her. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. There, there was this undercurrent of sadness throughout Black Widow and it kind of retroactively made me a little angry that they killed her off because Haley, as you said, it doesn't recontextualize anything in a good way it doesn't like make the story stronger or anything it yeah. honestly just opened up more questions for me and i'm sure it'll be explored like clearly elena's sticking around but like yeah. what what happened to her family during that interim and was that a factor in her decision we don't know because the movie doesn't <laughs> tell us like as it stands you're right it just seems like she peaced out when she did have a family and people you know maybe that's not true maybe they all got dusted too or something and we'll find that out later but yeah I now have a lot of unanswered questions that did not exist before well and I think timeline wise they didn't decide to actually make Black Widow until they were filming Infinity War so they were still writing in game they were still figuring it out but I imagine when they shot her death scene, they didn't know for sure what the Black Widow movie was going to be, which I don't think is an excuse. I think it just kind of like, oh, well, if you'd have known, maybe you wouldn't have. And I and I feel like that, you know, that's the consequence. The consequence of all that is that basically it's sort of like the fans demanded a Black Widow movie and they got a Black Widow movie, not a particularly great one, not one that answers a, like a lot of questions, not one that feels even particularly pivotal, just like it exists. It is now, you now have a Black Widow movie. And to me, it, it what's confusing is I feel like there's a much stronger story if you go further back into Natasha's past where you're, where she decides to defect to S.H.I.E.L.D. Because to me, that feels like a turning point in the character's history that was hinted at in Avengers and feels like a very strong kind of narrative about like, why would this person who was an assassin, who was bad, decide to sort of go a different way and i think and i think the reason they didn't tell that story is because that story doesn't allow you to get yelena into the mix and so to do that they have to sort of tell this different story that's kind of natasha's but it's really more yelena's story to me that's sort of the biggest flaw with with black widow is as much as i like florence Pugh, you have a story that's trying to do two things and i think it it's its priority is like we need to set up the new black widow rather than you know, doing justice to the old Black Widow. I think it's kind of at odds. I, I wouldn't necessarily, to me, it felt like enough of Natasha's story, but it is also a Marvel movie. So you have Taskmaster, you have this plot, you have a big third act with smashy, smashy stuff. Um, but I don't disagree. I do think it would be interesting to see stuff about her defecting to S.H.I.E.L.D. And it I does just, feel like they're kind of backtracking at this point. There are quotes flying around from Feige or whoever. Of like, you know, maybe we haven't seen The Last of Scarlet. No, you've seen The Last of Scarlet. <laughs> <laughs> but like, no, I mean, I just feel like, you know, the... I lost my train of thought. I, I, it's gone now. Goodbye. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm frustrated. Well, I'm just frustrated with Black Widow. 
I'll steal a thought from, I think it was you said in the Slack that it is sort of uh, one of the film's most disingenuous elements is that it's like about how women shouldn't be exploited and interchangeable at what this film basically exchanges. I didn't say that, but I will take, I will totally steal credit (laughs) for that. (laughs) I don't know who it was then. I thought it was you, but someone in the work Slack made a very good point that I agree with. Um, and it does feel a little gross when that's the thematic through line of the movie. Yeah, I would say, and, and that's the point. I, I'm sorry, now I, I got it back. Is that the reason it doesn't feel like Natasha's story is because I don't even know what her arc is really in this movie. Like, I guess it could kind of be like she, after Civil War, she lost her family. Like she lost her Avengers family. And so this is a story about her regaining her a family. But to me, that feels like very thin. Whereas like Yelena, you can make the case like Yelena is about coming out of this world and reconnecting in a way that that actually matters more to her because she is sort of goes from the, you know, being controlled and being in this sort of dark area to sort of, you know, gaining these things back. Whereas for where Natasha leaves off in Civil War, I don't, I don't know what's necessarily being addressed there. Um, I don't know... I don't know how, you know, when, when at the, when, again, we were in spoilers now, when at the end of the movie, she's like, I'm going to go and, and team break my friends out of prison. And I'm like, why didn't you just do that earlier? You know, like, it, like what was stopping you from doing that earlier? I this guess. movie is very much like, I have some free time on my hands. I guess I'll find out what happened to my fake Russian family. <laughs> not even, not even. That wasn't even her plan A. Her plan A was to chill out in a trailer and watch crappy Bond movies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What I mean, to me, the kind of the the crux of the arc, and I don't think it's it's super successful, is both Natasha and Yelena coming to... Um, so this this thing that happened to them when they were kids, they were with a fake family. Natasha knew the entire time they were fake. Yelena found out, found out later they were fake. It felt real to them in the moment. And then it felt like a betrayal. And then it felt like I have never had a family. I've never had anyone that cares about me. To me, the arc of it is realizing that it wasn't entirely fake, that there was something real there. There was some kind of sisterly bond, motherly bond, fatherly bond. They were, you know, very much, this is the Americans. If you, if you like that part of the story, I highly suggest watching the Americans on FX. Um, but I, you know, it kind of encapsulates, it kind of comes to that final scene between Natasha and Yelena where Natasha admits it was real for me too. And I think that was a nice thought, but I don't think that that like really completely congeals by the end of it. No, I, I feel like that's sort of a nice goal, but I don't think it, it pulls it off because ultimately there's just too many other balls in the air that don't really contribute to that. Like there's, you know, Dracov's daughter and then there's Taskmaster, the same person, which is such a weird reveal. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but like the second I saw Olga Kurilenko's name in the opening credits, like, oh, she's Taskmaster. <laughs> You're not going to cast her as someone. No, she's Taskmaster. Um, but like, you know, you have all these things and then it's like, and then we have to end the Black Widow program and there's this dude who's been hanging out behind the scenes. And and again, it also like by, by nature of being a prequel, you know, a prequel seems like on its surface, it'll go and it'll answer more questions. Like this is what it was happening. And then yet this just raises more questions. Like Yelena makes a good point. It's like, why didn't you just come and help us? Like, what were you doing that made you so busy? Yeah. That, you know, so it's, it's frustrating. I, well, and I'll, oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
I was just going to say, it's funny that I, I actually agree with all of this and clearly have a lot of complaints about the film when I genuinely enjoyed watching it. I think yeah. it's really difficult when it's stacked up in this massive decades long franchise and it has to answer to so much on its own. I think it's a pretty successful, like Adam said, a good little spy romp with two great leads and I have a good time. But the more we talk about how it ties into bigger questions, I am like, oh, they really dropped a lot of balls, didn't they? Well, it's the thing about Marvel movies like they're fun. They're really enjoyable and entertaining. And their primary goal is to entertain and make you feel happy and joy. And I think this one succeeds. And, uh, you know, but yeah, Matt, the thing you said about Taskmaster reminded me like, so when she finds out that Jacob's daughter is still alive, she's like, I must rectify this. Like, I have to fix this. But like she didn't seem super bothered by it the rest of her life. I mean, she talked about the Redner Ledger, but she wasn't just like, oh my God, oh my God. I oh, I blew thing. up a child. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of and then it turns to because you need to bring Taskmaster back and put her back on the playing field. Or I don't know. I think that's part of the muddled, like there is not a you're right. I don't think there's a very good conclusion in Natasha's arc in this movie. Yeah. Like they were trying different things and like, oh, maybe it's redemption through you know, saving Dracov's daughter and bring her back. Like, you know, she thought she killed her and now she brought her back. Now it's okay. Maybe that's the thing that makes her whole, but. I, I just don't think it's there. And I also kind of wonder like how much of a connection this movie has. And, you know, I think it's fun, but I think you can be like fun and flawed and still get at something better. Like, and again, maybe I'm misreading the landscape and I'm not online enough, but, and so maybe, you know, feel free to, to contradict me here but only on this don't contradict me on other things <laughs> but like it feels like the reaction to black widow has been fairly muted as opposed to like something like birds of prey where people were like like i think birds of prey has its flaws too but people seemed like really gung-ho for what that film was laying down as like this is this character's time to shine and feeling satisfied from it as opposed to what black widow is doing well that's interesting because Harley Quinn is such a personality. She's mm. like, you know, this overwhelming personality. And that I think is what I responded to so well in Birds of Prey is it is infused with that chaos throughout. It is a Harley Quinn movie throughout. Uh, that's really hard to do with Black Widow because her personality is like cool, right? Like it's, right. Not, it's kind of muted. How do you infuse a film with that? Yeah, it just becomes kind of spy movie. Yeah, she's yeah. a master manipulator. Yeah, so I, I, do, I do wish we got more though. Like, I still think her personality is kind of like cool. Like, I don't feel differently now, or that I mm. know her. And maybe she's an unknowable character. Maybe that's part of the problem and trying to make a movie about her. Because for me, one of the lines that really resonated is like, I had meant many lives before I met you or something like that yeah. and maybe if we got to see more of those lives to Matt's point like if it went even further back we would know her better <laughs> but there is it, it I guess it all comes back to that arc problem who are you Natasha what is your <laughs> what what did you become and who were you before and look there's always you know I think one of the things Marvel has shown is that there is there's always times to make fixes there's always time to sort of try to get it right on the next try like 
you know, after, after the first two Thor movies, you're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is like really a character that we can hang with. And then it's like, but wait, Taika Waititi's here and he's going to make Thor Ragnarok. And suddenly Thor is good. And so like, I think it does matter like what vision kind of comes with the character as opposed to like this character will inherently be X, Y, or Z. I did want to ask you guys a question. And I, guess, I mean, no, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I think I'm slightly delayed as usual. Love my internet. I was just going to say, I do want to give credit in the sense, like the vision, boy, do I prefer this when you look back at how she was introduced in Iron Man 2 and all the, you know, sort of exploitative framing of her character. At least they have decided to take her seriously now. <laughs> yes. And it wasn't entirely successful, but I, I do appreciate that progress. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you guys something that my wife said after we saw this and that kind of upset her because she really likes Black Widow. But she was talking about like female characters in, in Marvel as a whole and specifically the lead female characters and how frustrating it has been for her when it comes to Natasha and Wanda, who are the two main lead female characters, in that their entire characters are defined by trauma. So like you look at like Tony Stark and you know, he's got his demons. He's got his dad problems. He's got his drinking problems, but he's also a party boy. He's also super smart. Like he has like other lives and other facets, even Captain America, you know, he's haunted by the past, but he, you know, gets to banter a bit with Natasha. He has like other stuff to do his life. His entire arc isn't defined by this. And I say that as someone who loved WandaVision and my wife loved WandaVision, WandaVision as well. And that's an entire story about grief and Wanda's trauma. But that like, you know, you've got two and both of them are going to be the entire time. Yeah. You know, Wanda in Civil War, her whole arc is I don't want to hurt anybody. Oh, my God, I hurt people. And like, that's what she does. Like, that's kind of her character. Um, I guess I it's get... a little different in Ultron, although I guess I guess that's because she was like uh, abducted. And so she has like she again and that one, she's driven by pain and revenge against. The I guess the, I guess. The, the counter I would have to that and it's not much of a counter because I think it's totally right that they're both you know both Wanda and Natasha are, are grounded in trauma is that Captain Marvel is sort of not you know I mean that there's I forgot about Captain Marvel <laughs> <laughs> well and that's the thing Captain Marvel's whole thing is like I don't know who I am yeah and her whole thing is like I'm going to discover who I am which is still a weird perspective to come at it from instead of just being able to grow into it Honestly, I don't think they're going to figure it out as a launching pad until they hit Miss Marvel later this year. I mean, the future is bright. You've got Kamala and Khan is coming in to on Paris. Yeah, She-Hulk. The Captain Marvel sequel is like women at the front of it. And they are not all, hopefully not all defined by trauma. But I think to the up until this point, like 23 movies in, it was just kind of frustrating for her to see this goodbye to Natasha is once again, you know, my trauma. Mm -hmm. Let me look at my trauma. It yeah. makes sense to me. And I do also wonder if it ties in slightly to this like problem of personality I mentioned because Elena has a shit ton of trauma, but she's not defined by it. She's yeah. weird and wild and having fun and ready to die. And she gets to, to live outside of that trauma sort of in the way that you were saying about Captain America and mm -hmm. Thor, they get to have these external personalities. So I'm, I am, uh, the future does look bright and I am hopeful, but I, I do wonder if it's like, what I have a similar problem with Scarlet Witch for many years, which is like, who 
are you? And we finally got <laughs> to know Wanda's personality in WandaVision, but for the most part, there was never, she's, she's not a jokester, but she's also not the team leader and super serious in that Captain America way. She's just really powerful and afraid of that. Yeah, the only moments of clarity in WandaVision when she snaps out of it, she is still stuck in that moment where Vision died. Like she is just inconsolably in grief and rage and anger. Like that's all we get to see. So you're right. It's like, who are you? Because like when she snaps out of the thing, she's just like scared and angry and upset and sad. All of these things. So. And to be fair, she did, you know, take it out on an entire helpless town. <laughs> and the, the show was like, whoopsie doodle. <laughs> Off you go. Um. But yeah, and, and see, and that's the other thing about this whole mar about the whole marvel of it all is that like, you know, it's it's hard to judge a film or any of these characters really on just one thing because it's this big interconnected franchise. So like Black Widow isn't just Black Widow, it's well, how does Black Widow compare to the 23 previous movies? you know, and the way they told their stories and how this and how Natasha was treated in this movie and this movie and this movie, even though she wasn't the lead character in this movie, this movie and this movie, you know, how, how will it compare? How does it stack up? How, you know, and, and so these are, these are questions that kind of burden a Black Widow film in a way that wouldn't necessarily burden a different kind of superhero story. Like in a way that honestly, you know, didn't burden, let's say Wonder Woman, you know, whereas Wonder Woman, you know, Yes, there had been Batman v Superman and, you know, you know, uh, uh, Man of Steel. But even even in a young sort of franchise, there's very little to being like, well, how is she going to fit in? So she I takes will a say photograph, that's it. <laughs> in a slightly different slant on like how it has to uh, hold up in the view of a very large legacy and franchise. I think this is a top tier of their like solo solo quote marks but solo films i think this is a very good one comparatively to uh ant-man or doctor strange like this is aside from the initial bunch which were obviously quite strong with iron man and captain america i think this is one of the better ones so they you know it it does fulfill a lot for me as a standalone film but it is interesting i was talking to perry about this a little bit like they just really only make many Avengers movies now because mm -hmm. even as we've been discussing, this isn't really her film and she does kind of have her, by the end, her own little mini Avengers with her family going on. Yeah. yeah. And it makes me wonder, like, what does that mean for something like Shang-Chi, you know, where it's like, okay, well, here's this new character hasn't, like, the only thing that really connects is the Ten Rings that we know of thus far. I mean they people keep saying like i think she hulk's in this or this is like they keep trying to like point out like in trailers and crap like this character is showing up but like i don't mm, shang chi i think it's fa fair to say looks like he's out on his own as yeah. a like as an introduction which i'm fine with i think that's totally Except for great. the abomination some for some reason whatever <laughs> whatever if cgi tim roth wants to get punched in the face <laughs> who cares that's like william hurt showing up in black widow for five minutes you <laughs> or know. uncle curry like go for like one day's work right but you know i i agree you know it's sort of you know with all the other connections going on it, it makes it a little trickier and that's kind of and that's one of the reasons i think it's 
I'm I'm looking forward to sort of what's coming down the pipeline for Marvel because I would like to see more characters sort of get their own sort of launching pad. You know, so far, if you look at phase four, thus far as WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki and Black Widow, it's all characters we already know, as opposed to later this year, we're supposed, you know, or maybe in early 2022, we get Miss Marvel, She-Hulk, Shang-Chi, Eternals. So sort of, I think sort of needing to step away a bit almost to sort of say, okay, we, we know all these characters and we're not going to leave them entirely. We're also getting a new Spider-Man movie this year, but to at least be like, okay, here are, here are new entrances into the MCU rather than being like, well, how do we, you know, take a character like Black Widow and tell a new story, but also not affect any of the continuity that we've done thus far. And clearly Julia Louis-Dreyfus is like the glue that will hold whatever is coming. Together. Yeah. As she should be. I mean, if you were going to choose a good human glue, <laughs> you choose <laughs> JLD. Um, so is there anything else you guys want to say about Black Widow or should we move on to, to recently watched? Well, you, you hit on something that I did enjoy about the film, which okay. is that it is relatively focused. Uh, it, it was the contrast when you brought up Spider-Man No Way Home and you know everything that's happening with the burgeoning multiverse and Loki is obviously introduced a lot of <laughs> new ground for the MCU. Uh, I appreciate our earthbound focused movie that doesn't have to reckon with the implications of variants and nexus beings and uh as my, i i enjoyed wandavision i'm loving loki i'm not saying i don't like that stuff but as a counterpoint i do appreciate a solid focused movie that leans into the genre it wants to be and doesn't like you can't go, try to make some black widow theories go ahead I, you can't it doesn't it's not that movie you know yeah. like nobody's waiting for mephisto it's just a black widow movie and i do appreciate that yeah, we didn't really have to, to dive too deep into Black Widow Explained. <laughs> didn't really have to. Yeah, it's, it is what it looks like, folks. Well, and I, will, I did want to bring up Red Sparrow because I think, you know, for as much as Marvel has been like we're leaning into genre with all of our individual movies, Black Widow can't really go the full mile like, like Red Sparrow, the film with Jennifer Lawrence, which I think is really good and is a really dark um version of the black widow story it's essentially like an origin story of a black widow but it's rooted in in trauma and assault and and kind of the aftermath of such it's a it's a very dramatic film but also really like crackling spy thriller um so i don't know i i thought that was interesting that like you know they keep touting like this genre and that genre but i i think Haley, i think what you said is right is black widow felt pretty grounded as like a standalone thing it kind of reminded me of black panther a bit I still think Black Panther is kind of the gold standard, but that film really felt rooted in its characters and like what was happening in that moment. And even, even the finale of Black Panther, which everyone gives it shit for the CGI, but it's not necessarily like buildings falling down or explosions happening over here. It's very much these two characters who you empathize with both of them kind of going at each other. And I wish there had been a little bit more of that in Black Widow. I wish the, the antagonist had been a foil for Natasha or something like that, that could have drawn out something more thematically rooted in her character. Um, but I do think it is, it's more successful in, in, in terms of that kind of sequel. I, you know, 
I was at least thankful it wasn't another Captain America Civil War where it's like, and we're going to bring in Iron Man and he's going to come in and have a cameo uh, or, or that kind of thing. And I agree too. I think it's a better film than Doctor Strange or um, Ant-Man, um, those kind of standalones or Captain Marvel well, for that matter. I enjoy I'm a I'm a sucker for an MCU film. Okay. They're I fine. But I yeah. This one was a little higher quality. And I also, when you brought up the CGI in Black Panther, which is obviously a fantastic movie, but that fight scene at the end is kind of a bummer. Uh, I would like to flag that this is some of the best hand-to-hand -hand action scenes I think in the MCU and you know more in the first two acts that we we talked about that third act choice yeah. but I really I, I appreciated that I miss that stuff as I I love going to space with the guardians and when things get weird and cosmic but I also love a good you know the the winter soldier highway scene kind of being the benchmark so far of what they can do in terms of like hand-to-hand -hand combat action scenes i thought there were some really great ones in this and i liked seeing that return too i'd love to see them pull from like the mission impossible franchise and just like throw people out of plans for real and just go full on <laughs> as opposed to like Hi, uh... Chris Pratt. No. <laughs> <laughs> when will the tomorrow war sequel ever happen now <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I think there's, you know, I mean, for as dominant as Marvel is in sort of the the blockbuster space to put, oh God, I want to throw myself out a window for saying that <laughs> sentence, but it's true, but I hate that I said it. As But as dominant as they are, I kind of wish, I think that there's still room for them to, to grow and to, you know, to sort of, you know, do better action, tell better single stories. Like I think, you know, as successful as they are financially, I think narratively there's still room for improvement, which I think is encouraging um, because I do think that their movies are like largely like even like Black Widow, which I wasn't like crazy about. I'm like, this is fine. Like it, even like Doctor Strange, which I'm not a fan of. I like I watch. I'm like, this is whatever. Um, but to me, like most Marvel movies, I would happily like pop on again and rewatch just, you know, because I find them comforting, which I think is to me, you know, pretty good movie making. Yeah, they don't make movies like Iron Man 2 anymore, where it's just like a really like woof, they dropped the ball here. Right. It's pretty, pretty awful. Uh like Ant Man and the Wasp, which I think is just like a nothing burger of a movie. Like, it's fine. I mean, it's at not, the yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's Walton Goggins running around <laughs> holding a building. Like, I mean, what's the you know, you can't be mad at that. Yeah, that's all right. A good time with it. All right. Well, with that, let's move into recently watched. Uh Haley, what have you seen lately? Well, uh, because I brought up fight scenes, I'm going to flag a little delightful movie that I just adore called The Paper Tigers, which is uh, it's an indie coming of age, re-coming of age in your 40s type uh, martial arts film that I think if you, you know, if you're really enjoying Cobra Kai, it'll really hit that mark. It's about a a group of friends who grew up together practicing martial arts uh, and they were they were sort of known in their areas really the, the top fighters the, the kings the, the kings of the neighborhood fighting and then they went their separate ways over time lost touch and when their sifu their their master dies they come back together and have to investigate who killed him and try to fight again as men with bad knees and it's just a, it's a really, really delightful movie. I can't recommend it enough. I saw it for the first time last year at Fantasia 
and I just revisited it. It super holds up. That is my, my main recommendation because I know a lot of people haven't seen it and it does do some really incredible fight work with a low budget. I also will throw in that finally started watching secession and it rules i know everybody already knows that though so i didn't want to focus on that matt finally caught up on succession recently too yeah my wife and i are, are big fans now and cannot wait for the next season yeah addictive i was like <laughs> i will start on saturday and then it was i will finish season one on saturday how was your experience with the first few episodes because i know some people have trouble with those i was fine um it does it definitely picks up as you get to know the characters and their dynamic i think that's what holds back the first couple episodes is they're so immediately unlikable and you don't care about them yet but i i i already had so much good word of mouth that it you know it had a lot of room to and it doesn't fuck up but if it did it had room to do that cuz i knew i was going to stick around yeah, I think they started out probably thinking like, oh, we'll have all the characters in a room like once every three episodes or so. But like once they realize like that's the show when you have the entire family in one room together and they just kept doing that, it's just delightful. Yeah, and it's a weird show too because like it's pitch does not sound appealing. Like why would I want to <laughs> see rich people be assholes when that is the <laughs> world? Um, but it's like, because it's kind of like, you know, Arrested development as a drama. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that. And your next question is, do they get their comeuppance? And it's like, not really. Not really, no. <laughs> but well, it, uh, that's, a, that's interesting you say that's just the world because I was trying to tell my aunt she should watch it. And she was like, on it, I'm like so tired of the world and all of this and fair. But it made me realize that what I think the show does that's really brilliant is it it's about the drama of this family it's not really about the implications no yeah, of, yeah. Of the there, they hold. there is some sort like i think the show like really can stab you in the gut when it's about the implications of what they do you know like even in the very first episode when they like tear up that check in front of that poor family to, uh. you know like like the cruel like the, their casual cruelty but like when it's directed outwards, you real like it's hard to hang, but when it's directed inwards, you fucking love it. <laughs> like, yes, hey, you know, knives out at each other, stab each other, but you know, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And they're smart to keep the primary focus on that versus like, isn't it terrible when rich people mm -hmm. ruin the world? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, and so, Adam, is your recently watch going to be Red Sparrow? Do I have to make you reiterate Red Sparrow? <laughs> I will continue to say Red Sparrow is great, and I am writing something on it um, that hopefully you will read, maybe. Um, I think it's the best movie Francis Lawrence has ever made. Um, but no, my recently watched is I'm going to keep screaming about this. I will do it one more time next week, probably after I see it. But this week, I'm going to yell about Fear Street 1978 because it's incredible. Uh, I talked last week about Fear Street 1994. A uh, really fun slasher movie on Netflix. It's a trilogy, each set in different time periods. So, so in the world of Fear Street, uh, in 1994, there's this curse on this town. The town has been split into Shady Side and Sunny Side. Shady Side, all the poor kids, terrible things happen. This is the town that's cursed. Sunny Side, all the rich kids, everything's great and peachy. You know, Mr. Mayor has his hair slicked back, all that stuff. Uh, so you flash back to 1978 at a summer camp where kids from both sides of the town come to um and in 94 you learn this legend of like you know all these terrible things happened in this town going back decades one of them was in 1978 there was a camp killer uh this is like a summer slasher where just like children get yoked 
just incredibly, terribly <laughs> murdered with an axe. Decimated. Uh, decimated. The brilliant twist on it and on the slasher formula is because of this curse, the kids who get killed are the shady side kids. So the preppy kids are totally fine. The kids who are poor, who have really sad lives, who are maybe chubby and like are having trouble at camp, just getting sliced and diced. Uh, and it's just this really fun subversion on the the genre. But Lee Janiak, the director, again, keeps the focus. So 1994 is a love story uh, between two teen girls. 78 is a love story between two sisters who are at camp together. Um, and it's this really lovely, interesting sister dynamic because they aren't, you know, crazy fans of each other when the film begins. Um, but I don't know. I think that's drawn out really well. And all the stuff with the curse is super interesting. There's this wonderful mythology that bubbles up underneath the surface in all of these films. I haven't seen 66 yet. I'm watching it soon. But uh, those who have seen it at Collider say it is great and sticks the landing. Um, so I'll probably yell about that next week. But if you haven't seen Fear Street, I highly suggest checking them out. They're just tons of fun, but also like meaty. Like there's something that you on there that is really fulfilling in an emotional way. Maybe I'll check these Stream out this, this week. Because <laughs> everyone's raving about Fear Street. If you want to see just some children get axe murdered. Well, obviously I do. <laughs> um, so uh, my recently watched uh, is a film that I've been meaning to watch for a while. It actually played a couple years ago at the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival. And, is it the uh, Snyder Cut? It's not the Snyder Cut. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for that. We actually, Wouldn't that be wild if like he snuck the Snyder Cut into like a Jewish film festival? <laughs> <laughs> That's why <laughs> Well, hi, everybody. <laughs> anyway, here's Steppenwolf. <laughs> uh, I was really pleased with himself with that joke. <laughs> no, I was just thinking about it. Uh, actually, Steppenwolf, you didn't know it. You know, Zack Snyder likes to say, you didn't know this, but Steppenwolf is Jewish. Steppenwolf is Jewish. <laughs> He's conservative reform. Here's, here's my concept art of his bris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. His penis is also spiky. Um... <laughs> Well, I got way off track. Anyway, <laughs> film You're I've been meaning to watch is called uh, Shiva Baby, which is now on HBO Max. And it is like the plot is an awkward situational comedy. And so it's about this uh, college age uh, young woman and uh, named uh, Danielle, I believe. And she is has to go to a Shiva, which is like a Jewish wake is the best way I can describe it. Um and while she's there, she happens to run into not only her ex-girlfriend, but also her sugar daddy. And of course her parents are also there. And so what's the setup for like an awkward sort of situational comedy is directed straight up as a horror film. Like it's as if Ari Aster made a situational comedy is the best way I can try <laughs> Like the music is tense. The cinematography is claustrophobic. It's like, you just want to get out. The film is 77 minutes and you want to claw your way out of it. It's not a long film, <laughs> but man, is it just so uncomfortable uh, because of the direction. Like, be, like it's like, if you were to to shoot this film a different way, you'd probably, it'd be probably more like maybe like a death at a, a death at a funeral kind of thing where it's like, ah, you know, this is awkward. Uh, we're having fun, but this is like, I am so uncomfortable right now. I want to get out. Um, but it's very well made, very well acted. It's still funny. There are still some very good jokes in it. Um, but it's just, it's kind of fascinating to sort of see that approach 
And like, I would, I would absolutely qualify it as horror comedy. Um, so I, if you haven't seen Shiva baby, uh, it's on HBO max. I highly recommend it. Also hard co-sign that one. We, uh, I was programming a film festival earlier this year. Oh my God, that's crazy. That was a few months ago. <laughs> and that was one that we ended up programming and it was easily one of my favorite films I watched of every movie that we screened for that festival. And you are completely right. That's what I've been saying ever since. It is a, a comedy that makes you laugh by torturing you. Like it is a horror comedy not in the traditional sense but in the sense that you want to rip your own skin off just to get out of there <laughs> right exactly like no one dies you know no one gets brutally you know yoked but uh, <laughs> you, but maybe on an emotional level they do <laughs> yeah. i should show so. this to my wife who has to leave the room whenever anyone's like giving a speech that's going to be embarrassing in a movie oh no <laughs> <laughs> it's it's rough man to just yeah anyway she has left a movie theater whenever, like a like a, in Bridesmaids, when uh, they're doing like the dueling. Thing. She got up and left, and came back like ten minutes later. Was like, is it over? I can't. I can't do it. Nice. Uh, all right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Haley, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Haley Fouch. And Adam, where can people find you? Adam Chitwood. You can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back with you later this week as we discuss the season finale of Loki. So tune in for that. Bye.